so they're they're not in denial and so they're praying please have people just pray for a miracle because that's what it's going to take to end this war welcome to christ and culture the podcast of the l russ bush center for faith and culture at southeastern baptist theological seminary here we'll explore how the christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers welcome to the conversation I'm Ken Keefley. And I'm Benjamin Quinn. And this is the Christ and Culture Podcast. Now, unless you have really been living under a rock or had your head in the sand, you are well aware that Russia has invaded Ukraine. In only a matter of days, Western Europe and the world, for that matter, have been plunged into crisis. Now, you can turn on the news, our social media, and get a military or political perspective. But what is the situation like for the church? How are Ukrainian Christians responding? We talked to Dr. Russell Woodbridge, who served for more than a decade as a missionary in Ukraine. Given how rapidly the situation is changing, we decided to go ahead and release our conversation early as a bonus episode. We have with us Dr. Russell Woodbridge. Uh, Russ and Ingrid Woodbridge are uh, two very familiar names to us at Southeastern. Russell graduated with his PhD from Southeastern in 2003. Ingrid graduated with her Doctor of Ministry from Southeastern in 2016. Uh, They have served for 12 years with the International Mission Board in Ukraine from 2009 to 2021. Uh, They have four children and one grandchild and another one on the way. Dr. Woodbridge, thank you for being with us today. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Dr. Woodbridge, for a number of years, you taught theology at Southeastern. Is that not correct? I was the assistant academic dean for the college for several years uh, before we moved to Ukraine. So you're, you're serving as an associate dean at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and you sense a call to work in missions. Tell us about that. Yes, that was uh, not an easy decision to leave Southeastern because uh, we have lots of friends there and had an excellent, you know, just great experience there. But uh, we always thought that if there was a need overseas, particularly in the area of theological education, uh, then we would consider that. And it became apparent to us that in Ukraine, there were some needs for some help in the theological education arena. And so we responded to that and left um, Southeastern in 2009 and moved to Kiev, Ukraine. And I originally uh, worked some with Kiev Theological Seminary, which is an excellent seminary right there in in the capital. And uh, after uh, about three years, I met uh, the future president of Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary, Slavic Piz, and I started working with him in Lviv, which is in the west of Ukraine, not too far from the Polish border. Um, and so uh, I was able to help as academic dean for one year at Kiev Theological Seminary. And then uh, the last five years, I was academic dean at Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary. For a lot of Americans, and I suspect many Southern Baptists also, prior to the conflict that has broken out uh, in the last few days, Ukraine was uh, a country about which perhaps they had heard about, but they had very little familiarity. 
and they may have trouble distinguishing Ukraine from Belarus or maybe even Poland. Tell us, what is the country Ukraine? What's distinctive about it? First of all, uh, what people don't realize is that they speak Ukrainian in Ukraine. Um, and so, yes, there are also Russian speakers in Ukraine, but they're Ukrainian, so they speak Ukrainian. And that's one of the first mistakes we make. We assume they speak Russian. But for some in Ukraine, you know, that's a little bit offensive. They said, no, I'm Ukrainian. I speak Ukrainian, of course, right? Um, also, I think people fail to realize how large Ukraine is. It's one of the larger <laughs> uh, geographical landmass countries in Europe. I think if you overlaid it across the state of Texas, you, you kind of, for us, we get a rough idea of how large the country mm -hmm. is. Um, it's not a tiny country like the state of Connecticut. It's, it's pretty significant in size. And if you look at it on the map, uh, it's small in comparison to, to Russia, but uh, pretty significant in terms of its size compared to Western Europe. Um, also, the cultures are somewhat similar between the Slavic cultures. So you're going to find some similarities between Russians and Ukrainians, Belarusians, Polish, uh, maybe even some Czech because uh, they have the Slavic background. And so there's some commonality in the language and, and some of the things that they appreciate. And so like in Ukraine, um, and this could be true of some of the other Slavic countries, uh, they're very artistic, very creative with literature, with music. Uh, in the Baptist churches, you're going to hear some of the finest music <laughs> that you've heard in Baptist churches in Ukraine because it's part of their culture and this creativity and artistic bent. And the other thing I would say about Ukraine that makes it distinctive is the people are extremely hospitable, extremely friendly. And that, again, is just part of who they are, part of their culture, very welcoming. And particularly uh, in, the, in the churches that we work with, the believers were just so great to work with and easy to work with and just open. And we got along very, very well because of their openness and, and friendliness. I, I have to say, I mean, you know, I, I, I think it's just great the way the world has come around and is getting a real look at Ukraine. But if you know Ukrainians and you live there, on one hand, you're not surprised. Mm -hmm. um, you have to understand, like in their national anthem, <laughs> I mean, it says, we, we will lay down our souls and our bodies for our country and for freedom. I mean, these are, you know, serious, hardcore freedom lovers who have had a very long, difficult history. And so I, I think they're showing the world. I mean, that's who they are. And so when you see these grandmas picking up AK-47s, when you see these ladies um, and these people standing in front of tanks and older people, I mean, this is who they are. It's just, um, it's a culture of grandmas and those grandmas have a lot of authority. And even those Russian soldiers, you think twice before going against grandma, babushka, right? Okay. I mean, it's really interesting. So I'm glad the world is supporting them and, and just seeing uh, what's going on there. And, and how, you know, I'm seeing these things on Twitter. These Ukrainians are made different. But yeah, that's right. If you lived their lives in the last 40 years, um, they're fighting for their lives, literally, um, in terms of um, if Russia comes in and does take over the country, I mean, they'll make them all speak Russian out on the street, in the schools, in public, mm -hmm. rather than Ukrainian. So. So you go to Ukraine in 2009 and you serve there for basically 12 years till 2021. Um, so you said there were some openings in uh, 
for opportunities in serving in theological education. Tell us a little bit more about what your experience was. You, you first served in uh, the seminary there in the capital city. Uh, talk to us. What is, what is theological education like in Ukraine? In several of the major cities, there are Baptist seminaries that train young men uh, to be pastors. They also train, train women as well for different ministries and just in general. Um, and so you have Odessa Theological Seminary, uh, which is down on the Black Sea. Uh, you have Kiev Theological Seminary, Erpine Bible Seminary, for example, Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, and so uh, after the um, communism fell, Ukraine you know, got its independence in 1991. And very shortly thereafter, for example, um, some Ukrainians went to the United States to Dallas Theological Seminary to get um, theological education and come back and start seminaries. Um, and so that was kind of a typical story in the 90s that these seminaries were started uh, in order, now that they had freedom and religious freedom, to be able to openly train uh, Baptists for the work of the ministry. Um, and so some of those got started in the 1990s. Uh, Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary was one of the later ones to get started and is a, approximately 20 years old. So it started a little bit later, but it's really the only seminary in the western part of Ukraine. And so the river, Dnipro River, kind of divides the country from east and west, so to speak. And so in the west, that's Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary. But, you know, a lot of it's undergraduate work. So it's more like college, uh, but very similar to what we see in the United States in terms of students taking your survey classes of Bible and theology and uh, so forth. Uh, and then many of these schools have partnerships, for example, uh, Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary has a partnership with Southeastern to provide a master's of theology degree for Ukrainians in Lviv. Um, and so that's a little bit of the landscape. So we've had several Southeastern professors go to uh, Ukraine over the past few years. There's a long list. I can't even <laughs> remember them all over the past uh, you know, five years or so. But for example, Dr. Chuck Lawless has come uh, several times, I believe, to come and teach different courses on the master and undergraduate level. Um, we've also had Dr. John Ewart, for example. He's been a couple times. And Dr. Aiken came for the first graduation of the master's students. Um, and so that was exciting to have him and Dr. Ewart there for the first, you know, graduating students of the master's program from Southeastern uh, at Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary. And so we've really enjoyed the, the connection with Southeastern and the different professors uh, who have come over in, in different fields, too. I think Dr. Ken Coley came over once and did an education course for us. Uh, we had a preaching professor as well come over. And so it's, it's been a really great experience for us uh, and the students. So when one thinks of Eastern Europe, you think of the Orthodox Church, which has for centuries been the dominant church in that part of the world. But what I hear you talking about is, is a fairly vibrant evangelical presence. Can you tell us a little bit about the churches in Ukraine? Sounds like there's a lot of young men and women uh, training for the ministry. Uh, what is God doing among evangelical churches in Ukraine? Yeah, so what um, many people don't realize is um, in the 1990s, um, you know, lots of help came in to help Baptists who were persecuted or were <laughs> at least kind of put away put in the corner uh, under communism and, and definitely persecuted. Um, and in the 1990s, with freedom and independence, uh, they just started evangelizing and people just came to Christ in, in massive amounts. And so today, um, the Baptist Union, the largest Baptist Union, there's several, um, has 
you know, approximately 100 to 110,000 members. Hmm. And it's one of the largest, uh, sometimes the English Baptist Union has more members than the Ukrainian, but basically it's, it's usually the largest or second largest Baptist Union in all of Europe. Um, and so there's always been wonderful potential there. And so a couple things uh, more recently uh, is that the Ukrainians have uh, Baptist churches um, they continue to emphasize preaching and, and evangelism, but they've been sending their own people to other countries as missionaries. And so that's mm. been an extremely exciting development uh, to see. But if you think about it, you have you, uh, a Ukrainian who, who speaks Ukrainian and probably speaks Russian as well. And they can go into nearby countries because they're near culture. They already have some language, maybe the language of that uh, particular country. Uh, and when a Ukrainian comes into the country, I mean, the first thought of the border guard is not, are you coming here to proselytize? Like it might be with an American. It's just like, oh, yeah, you're, okay, you're Ukrainian, you're coming here, and nobody thinks twice about it. And so there's a lot of advantages that Ukrainians have in terms of the mission field. The other area uh, that we've just seen, just an amazing story, um, is all across theological education, the seminaries as a whole have grown, but the seminary in Lviv, Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary, when I started working with Slavic Piz uh, back in about 2013, he became president then, um, we relaunched the seminary. And at that time, there was about 50 students in the seminary uh, for a variety, variety of reasons, the way it was structured and so forth, location. And uh, Slavic had a great vision for what the seminary could be. We moved to Lviv. And this past year, enrollment in all of the programs was 1,300 students. That and so we've amazing. just seen this amazing revival among the young people wanting theological education. And it's not even accredited by the state, right? So this is something that the students usually have a, a degree from the state university in Lviv, uh, whatever, economics, for example, or languages and so forth. But they come to the seminary just because they want to be uh, stronger Christians and, and increase their faith and know the Bible more and just be better church members uh, wherever they are serving in their local churches. And so it's really phenomenal, the sacrifice and the effort um, that students make. We have students from the East who would travel, you know, 15 hours by train to come to the course for a week. And uh, so um, that, that's been another really just amazing uh, development in the Ukrainian Baptist churches colleagues of mine uh, started a church planting program at the seminary to help spur on church planting, which is another development in the uh, largest Baptist union. And then we did likewise uh, help start a church planting program at Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary to plant more churches in Ukraine by Ukrainians. They just need some encouragement and some training uh, and some coaching and mentoring. And so what we saw in a very short amount of time, we're talking a five to 10 year uh, horizon, we had approximately 50 church planters or members of church planting teams come through those two programs. And when I think about effectiveness, yes, it's important. And there, there are certainly strategies around the world where you need to be the first one in and to plant a church as the foreigner, you know, and coming in. But then there's also, you know, through theological education, you think about your, your fingerprint or your teaching is 
in 50 different locations, or maybe, you know, some of them were team members together. So maybe it's 30 different locations through theological education where you're training Ukrainians to plant churches. Uh, and I just think that's far more effective. And that's really philosophically what we're after is the natives and nationals planting their own churches because they have the language, the culture, the connections, the friendships and so forth and the knowledge. And so it's been very effective in theological education. And that's just one example. We could, we could do the same thing for international missions. Someone started an international missions program in Kiev Theological Seminary. And I did likewise at Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary and sending out Ukrainians uh, to different places uh, so that they, they just need equipment. They need equipping. They need some training. They need some encouragement, uh, maybe some connections in other countries where they think God's sending them and calling them. And um, off you go. And so theological education has been a very, very strategic part of what's going on in Ukraine. Well, speaking of the extraordinary work that churches are doing in Ukraine, let's talk a little bit about how the churches there are responding to the present crisis. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on? Basically, the churches have basically turned their buildings, if they have a building, into a shelter. Pastors are staying, even if they could leave, which they probably can't uh, for a variety of reasons. <laughs> but it's not just that uh, they can't leave, they don't want to leave because they want to take care of their church members who can't leave. But also, I mean, they're opening up their doors to anybody coming through who needs shelter, needs safety, needs food, needs things for their kids. And so it's been remarkable just to see church after church after church opening their doors. And at the seminary, uh, I just saw some pictures in you know, the classroom that I used to teach in. I mean, it's covered with mattresses right now so that people can sleep there. I mean, they, they shut down the seminary in terms of instruction, uh, you know, canceled classes because they realized immediately that they needed to turn all of their facilities, any of their dormitory space. Uh, they just had to pack it out with more, um, you know, beds and, and things for kids. And, and they've been doing a great job. Uh, the other day, Slavic said that They'd already helped more than 500 people come through. And so what, what you're seeing, of course, is people uh, from the east in, in Kiev, they're all moving west because at this moment in time, uh, it seems to be safer in the west. And so what they're seeing is people are coming through. Some just need a stopover for a day or two to kind of catch their breath and just take a break from the travel and the exhaustion, and then they're moving on to different borders, whether that's with Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, and they're using the seminary and other churches in that area and south of that, of Lviv to, you know, just, they need, they, they need a place to stay. I mean, they basically have their backpacks and maybe uh, a suitcase with them and maybe a car, maybe they came by train. So, um, you know, the pastors and, and, and Slavic, the president of the seminary have said, hey, we always say we love God, but, you know, the second part is we also need to love our neighbor. And this is our opportunity to really show sacrificial love uh, for our neighbors. And so uh, many of our friends have chosen to stay in the country uh, to serve others and serve their fellow countrymen, um, but also to share the gospel, share the love of Jesus with people. I mean, there's this amazing opportunity right now. Um, you know, one story um, was, you know, there was a soldier who, who knew a, a Baptist pastor and just started talking to him and saying, I could die, right? I mean, I could literally die. Um, and I need to know what's going to happen after I die. And very open to these spiritual mm -hmm. conversations. 
Uh, and, and, and you can understand why. When your life is in jeopardy, you tend to start to think very seriously, very quickly about you know, what comes next. That's amazing. That, that is remarkable. Um, how can we pray? And is there anything more than we can do besides prayer? If somebody would like to get more involved, there's, um, you know, for Southern Baptist, uh, go to Send Relief. They have an excellent prayer list, and it includes actually the seminary and the church plant in Lviv that we were involved in. And that would be a good place to start if somebody's interested. I, I think, you know, th- there's a lot of um, obvious prayer requests for sure, but I, I think one that we, we really need to pray for the believers in Ukraine who are staying behind intentionally, that they just have that spiritual and physical strength to continue serving. Uh, you know, they're seeing, they're seeing people in very difficult situations, traumatized from, you know, from the war and coming through and they're serving and serving and serving. And it's been five days nonstop and it's going to continue most likely. And so I think they really just need a lot of strength. You know, they, they get tired as well. Right. And they have their own concerns, but they're kind of laying those aside. So I think really for that spiritual and physical strength to continue serving, uh, second, they would just use this opportunity to share the gospel and see see people repent and come to Christ during this crisis. As, as terrible as it is, you know, people are coming to Christ, um, and uh, it's hard to imagine, but that that is the case. Um, and so, I think those these are two things that you know really we can pray for. And then uh, the third is look, our friends, our brothers and sisters, they're realists, you know, and. <laughs> Several of them, uh, one of them just wrote about an hour ago and texted and said, pray for a miracle. We need a miracle in Ukraine. So I think they're realistic about what could happen and what is happening. They're, they're not in denial and they realize that the odds are against them, so to speak. They, you know, and so they're, they're not in denial. And so they're praying, please have people just pray for a miracle because that's what it's going to take to end this war. So I pass that along. Dr. Woodbridge, we... Uh, thank you uh, for spending this time with us and sharing your expertise. Appreciate your ministry uh, and all that uh, Ingrid and you have been doing uh, in Eastern Europe for the last nearly 15 years now. And so uh, thank you so much for taking this time with us. Southeastern Seminary's mission is to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Almost all of Southeastern's degrees are available fully online, so whether you're in your living room or the classroom, you can receive high-quality theological education. Get equipped wherever you are today for wherever you're called in the future by visiting sebts.edu. Thank you for tuning in today to a bonus special episode, and we're especially grateful to Dr. Russell Woodbridge for joining us. We'll also be back to our regular scheduled routine on Friday, and we look forward to you joining us then.